0: Well, good morning. Hello, Scott. <laughs> God is good. And all the time. God, and all God's people said, Amen. Feels good to say that. Uh, welcome you, those who have been away from church for a long time. We had a, our first service here last week with our ma- ministry leaders, and that went well. So, uh, And take heart, too, that... Uh, attendance does not um, have any reflection on the rapture. Okay, uh, Most folks are already home, so so would you pray with me? <coughs> Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to, to worship you in your house, and I pray by your spirit, Lord, you would lead us and bless us. And as we uh, look at the times that we are living in, Lord, help us to be relevant, but also um, full of full of grace and mercy and even today we ask that you would uh, bless us and change us And we pray that in your precious name amen <coughs> well as we gather this morning uh, we do bless our most sovereign God and praise our most gracious God that he allows us to come together <coughs> in the midst of a atmosphere of turbulent chaos that we've been the last five months. We are suffering in so, so many different ways. And uh, those of us in North America are experiencing pain from a different kind of toxic mix of issues, I would say. We have this deadly pandemic that's infected and affected millions of people. We have economic fragility. We have High unemployment rates. We have stay-at-home orders, racial unrest, anger over police brutality, violent protests, blatant political posturing, countless new restric- restrictions in our lives regarding masks and distance and hand washing and plexiglass and a whole lot of arrows. It even seems. Uh, Na- as Nancy and I were talking that. Our weather seems to be feeling that stress, too. (laughs) These are also challenging times for leaders. In times of duress and difficulty, it is imperative that leaders rise up from the shadows and steer people into a future of possibility and hope. And in these days, we've seen that in a few leaders, but we actually desperately need more leaders to stand up and do that. And the truth is, leadership is not always assigned. Rather, it's usually clarified during times of trial. Leadership is really the confrontation of the major anxiety of our people, of our time. And these days are probably the greatest windows of opportunity for God-centered leadership to step forward. Uh, True leaders know that you will always find opportunity in the back end of difficulty. And this is not an exploitive opportunity as some attempt to do, but this is an opportunity to feed the sparks of courage and wisdom and uh, character to take hold and fan the flame of what's going on here. Fueled by a crisis, we need strong men, we need strong women to lead us in the midst of all this incoming despair. Now we are going through a time of drastic change and radical transition. We will not know life as we knew it before, even some years down the line. Things change. Uh, It's at such times that we begin to wonder uh, if we will have the strength and the unity to bear up under the stresses and changes and transitions that confront us. these are the days that we need God's leaders. Um, it's into this kind of scenario that we find ourselves in this, mo- this morning in the book of Joshua. Where we read of God's people were going through the transition from one direction to another direction. From shifting to one purpose, escaping slavery and wandering to another purpose, entering the promised land and claiming it for their own. Now Moses, the great spiritual leader of God's chosen people, who had led them out of the bondage of Egypt, of slavery in Egypt, who had spoken face to face God on their behalf, who had delivered the Ten Commandments written by the hand of God, was now gone. And Joshua was about to step into this challenging position of a godly leader in a time of transition and chaos. And from a human point of view, this transition from Moses to to Joshua was momentous, but from a divine view, it was simply God's transition of calling another man into the point that would lead God's people to his purpose and to his plan. Uh, This true and real leader of God's people is God himself, and he simply would work through Joshua in the days ahead and as we open the book we find Israel, uh, the people of God preparing to cross the river Jordan, this is about 1400 years before the birth of Jesus they're coming into the land of Canaan where God had promised them, now Moses had led them out of Egypt and through a a 40 year journey through the desert and in reality they could have gotten to the river Jordan in 12 days Despite the strong leadership of Moses, <coughs> they still wandered for 40 years because of our human fallen inability to follow and submit to God's authority. The distance between 12 days and 40 years reflected the distance between their hearts and God's heart. The time between 12 days and 40 years constituted the discipline of God as he prepared them for the days ahead. The promised land was God's gift to the people of Israel, but it would come only through exhausting work and sacrificial warfare. The Lord Jehovah had given them the title to the land of milk and honey, yet they would not possess it unless they fought for it for every inch. It was a time of great challenge both for Joshua and the people of God. Transition and change were at hand. Combat would replace wandering Obedience would take the place of resistance. Submission would be exchanged for opinion. And commitment would be replaced uh independence. Now, I'm not giving any secrets away. We we know that people ultimately did take possession of the land of Canaan. But we see that today. That in the, this day and in the couple months in fr- front of us. We will see how God uses chosen people in his his way for his purpose and his plans anything in life brothers and sisters that is inherently good is worth fighting for and it will come at a great cost and as we move ahead we will probably pay that cost but God has promised each one of us to do something far beyond what we are doing right now God loves us too much to leave us where we are God has created us and God has saved us and chosen us and called us here to fulfill God's plans and God's purposes. God's purpose and plan for our lives is that we would live out our lives for God in a way that would make God preeminent over everything. In Isaiah 43, God declared, Everyone who was called by my name, who I formed and made, I have created for my glory. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. In other words, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. That is our purpose and our plan. As individuals and as a corporate body. God's desire for our lives is that we would live the abundant life filled to overflowing with kingdom fruit. And the fruit of God that desires for our lives has nothing to do with success or money or position or possessions or family or comfort or happiness. The abundant fruit God desires for our lives is the fruit of joyfully being so satisfied in God that he's glorified in everything we say and do. In First Peter 1 We read, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And the truth is, we cannot bear that kind of kingdom fruit by ourselves or through other people or places or things. In John fifteen eleven, Jesus, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the challenge of being chosen of God, to live for God and lead for God. This is the challenge of our day, the same challenge God's people faced 3,500 years ago as before they stood before the Jordan River ready to go into the Promised Land. While the times we live in have changed The truths and principles of God regarding how we claim and possess the promises of God have not changed. The only variable in that equation is us. Sir Edmund Hillary, the conqueror of Mount Everest, once said, It is not the mountain we can conquer, but ourselves. What will it take for us as God's people to rise up and be challenged as chosen people and enter the land that God has promised us in the midst of all this pandemic so that we might fully possess the joyful abundance of his promises. The word of God today tells us. First, we see that God's people rise up to the challenge of being chosen to live out God's plans and purposes when we hear God and when we affirm God, God's call for our life. After the death of Moses, we read, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the soul of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, in all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that all the law Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for you will make your way prosperous and then you will have a good success have not I commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go so as Joet Joshua sat waiting expectantly to hear the voice of God near the river. He was not disappointed. When we take time to listen to God, we usually usually hear him. As God spoke to Joshua, the message was loud and clear. Moses is gone, but God's plans and purposes are still much very alive. I can only imagine how Joshua must have felt when he heard these words. 38 years before this, he was one of the 12 spies with Moses that had been sent into the land of Canaan. And only he and Caleb had seen seen great possibilities and potential in this promised land. The others saw nothing but problems and danger. And as we are going through this time of great change and dramatic transition, we as leaders and followers must not be short-sighted and close-minded by seeing nothing but problems and danger. But rather, we must be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. (laughs) Strong and courageous. And surrender to the possibilities and the potential that God has for us when we seek to fulfill his purpose and plans. And previous to this point, Apathy, unbelief, and disobedience had kept the people of God who were now under Joshua from claiming all that God was willing to give them. Such is the same reasons that most Christians today fall short of receiving the spiritual blessings that God has promised. Because the promises of God, the blessings of God, are not really what we think they are. We've just came, come out of uh, Ephesians. And in Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, Paul speaks of this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is not about the blessings of God in terms of health, wealth, or prosperity, but rather about the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God in Christ. Paul says here that the abundant blessings we have in Christ are spiritual blessings. Now, God will always, he will always give us exactly what we need. Most times he gives us far, far more. But God also knows that our hearts are easily wooed and captured by worldly blessings, and that worldly blessings can just as easily become the source of our security and our strength and our identity. True followers of Jesus Christ find their security and their strength and their security in Christ, most specifically in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul, in Colossians 1, Writes for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. What we're seeing here is the greatest spiritual blessing in Christ is the cross. Amen. Boy. Joshua would need this spiritual blessing of faith in the days ahead. And we need this one too. For Joshua, those who were in possession of the promised land were a powerful people who lived in strong fortified cities, who maintained a trained army of soldiers who were frequently in battle and always ready in fighting condition. And the land they lived in was, was filled with mountains, making both war and travel difficult. And what this means for us is that when we move ahead with God, we will face opposition and barriers. We will need the blessing of faith in Christ to discern the difference between what we want and what God wants. Praise the Lord that our God never gives us a command without giving us the empowerment to do that command. Amen? That was better. He commanded Joshua to grab the horns of leadership and ride into battle. But at the same time, he assured him a lifetime of continuous victory. No man shall ever be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I, just like with Moses, will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. God will never send us, brothers and sisters, to where he has not already been. When faced with a struggle, we often try to fill in for God when things aren't going as we like. But God never walks out in his promises. The task ahead of us is never greater than the power behind us. God will do as he promised in us in the days ahead. Following this affirmation regarding his promises toward God's people, God then exhorts Joshua to a threefold call. These are the three sources of strength and courage that we are called to. God first calls Joshua to be strong and courageous on the basis of God's promise. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua could be bold in his decisions and his actions because the power of God's promise would give him victory. So too we can take risks, brothers. We can endure change, sisters, because God has promised us victory. But we must always remember God's promises are not unconditional. The fulfillment of God's promise to win and possess the land before these people was based on Israel's obedience to God. Be assured that God will not bless disobedience. There's no question that Israel had the right to the promised land. The title was him, his or theirs between, because of divi- uh, divine contact. But they would never possess it totally. They would never enjoy it fully until their hearts and their actions were submitted to God. While our salvation may be assured despite our behavior, the blessings of God are not. Disobedience, selfishness, deceit, pride do not come from above, nor do they come from others. Such things are rooted in the self. God's promises will only come to bud and bloom when we allow our sinful nature to become fertilizer for our growth. Humble confession of sin that is planted in the soil of repentance will yield abundant fruits that God desires in our lives. Trusting in God's promise is an act of God's undeserved mercy and grace that gives us strength and courage. God also calls Joshua to be strong and courageous on the base of the power of God's word. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success whenever you go the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate it on day and night so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success so if, if Joshua wanted really wanted victory in his conquest of Canaan God tells him that he needs to fill his heart mind soul and strength with the truths of God's word The record of Joshua's life in the Bible reveals he did so. Because of his uh, persistent faith in God's word, his entire life was filled with blessings and achievement and success. Even Joshua's farewell address as he lay dying on a bed was focused on submission to scripture. In his final days, Joshua said, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Joshua's generation heeded this charge but succeeding generations did not and they were not guided by the authority of God's Word. And as a result we see in Judges, Judges 21:25 tells us everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In rejecting the divine, objective standard, authority that was defined as God's word, instead of embracing the the subjective standard, self-autonomy defined as personal opinion, Israel was led for centuries and centuries into religious apostasy and moral anarchy. We are we are witnessing that today across the globe. Rejection of God's word is not only in the culture around us but also sometimes within the church. We must take warning that there is a deadly cost when we reject biblical values and principles. The Word of God is being diluted to the point that now the source of our accountability has moved from the authority of God to the authority of self. Joshua believed and so must we that there is a God to whom we must give an account. There is a God who revealed himself and will uh, lead his people through the holy scriptures and through obedience. Strength and courage, as defined by God himself only comes when we follow the words of his word. God also then calls Joshua and us to be strong and courageous on the basis of God's presence. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The challenges that stood before Joshua were enormous. He would lead God's people against physical giants in fortified cities but the presence of our most holy and mighty God would make all the difference. In the words of Martin Luther one plus God equals a majority. Brothers and sisters if we truly believe God is who he says he is. We would be bolder and stronger and more courageous in our lives. Is he not sovereign and omnipotent and omnipresent and glorious over and above all things who rules and reigns over every one of the very smallest decisions or personal choices that we have in life? If then, if he is providential, all-knowing and ever abiding and existing overpoweringly present in our victory in our lives. In Psalm 16, King David wrote, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The presence of God makes us ever more strong and ever more courageous. In the first nine verses, of our text. We've seen that when God's people hear and affirm God's call, we then understand in know what it takes to rise up to the challenge of being strong and courageous. But hearing and affirming and understanding is not enough. We are called to obey these things that we just learned. God will empower us to rise up to the challenge of being chosen to live out God's plans and purposes when we are obedient to what he says. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of the Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, sir, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as He has to you, and they also take possession of the land that your Lord, your God, is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan, toward the sunrise. The Lord has now spoken, and now. Joshua speaks to the people and he did so without delay with confidence in having heard God. What we're seeing here is what's called the spiritual chain of command that God has directed for his people. This is the spiritual leadership under God's authority, the same pattern which prevailed in the New Testament church. The pattern many churches follow today is a shifted away from this pattern and is really, really based on human freedom and individual rights. The point here is not whether a congregational system of governance is right or wrong. What's right or wrong depends on our attitude towards authority. I'll say that again, what is right or wrong depends on our attitude towards authority, which is a problem that we've all had since the fall in the garden. That issue is understanding the roles and the weight of responsibility both for God's leaders and for God's people. The responsibility of being a leader in this fallen world we live in is more than difficult. This is even more true in the body of Christ because we are providing leadership and followership in the midst of a spiritual war for the souls of mankind. We see that in the reality of the attrition rate of pastors today. Three decades ago I graduated seminary (coughs) with 75 other students. Only 12 of them went into the pastoral ministry. Five years later only five were serving churches. Five years later I was the only one left. Statistics tell us that only one out of ten pastors Retire as pastors. It looks like I will have the spiritual blessing of being one of those to retire as a pastor. But the truth is, I very easily could have been one of the other nine. Spiritual leadership is not an easy vocation. It's dangerous, and um, it's also glorious. In the 11th century, King Henry the the third of Bavaria grew tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch. He made application to Prior Richard at the local monastery, asking to be accepted as a monk and spend the rest of his life in the monastery. "'Your Majesty,' said Prior Richard, "'do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? "'That will be hard for you "'because you have been in leadership as a king.' "'I understand,' said Henry." The rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you to lead me. Then I will tell you what to do, said Prior Richard. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. When King Henry died, his epitaph on the headstone read, the king learned to rule by being obedient. Brothers and sisters, we are not only called by God to salvation through Jesus Christ. We're also called by God to be who we are and where we are and what we do. Malcolm Muggeridge once wrote, the heart of our calling is not to something but to someone. We are not called by God to live for ourselves. We are called to live for Christ. James Emery White has said, independent of any individual calling towards a specific area of life, the primary call is faithfulness to God. But the reality of God's calling for us is that God's call will mean difficulty and struggle and transition and change in our lives. And when those things do come into our lives, we need to be faithful and obedient to God. Brothers and sisters, we are not called to have a spiritual life. We are called to live out a spiritual life. And when we tire of our roles and responsibilities, t- tired and, and weathered in our place and what, what, what we're doing, both in life and in the church, it helps to remember that God has sovereignly planted each and every one of us in this place at this very moment. And he desires that we be the, the best mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and sisters and brothers and husbands and wives and families and friends and accountants and fishermen and mill workers and tree fallers and business owners and doctors and nurses and carpenters and musicians and cooks and administrators and counselors and teachers and worship hosts and pastors and elders and deacons and deaconesses and fully committed, active members of the body of Christ for the glory of God. That's our calling. In whatever and wherever we have been called in life, we are called to be leaders, leaders of people, pointing people to Jesus. i say it again. In whatever and wherever we have been called in this life, we are called to be leaders, leaders of people, pointing people to Jesus. This is our mission. Mission statement. We passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Our text today closes with a corporate response by God's people to commit themselves to to rise up to this challenge of being chosen to obediently live their lives for God. And they answered Joshua, to God's authority through Joshua was wholehearted and enthusiastic and they pledged their absolute uh, loyalty, total obedience to their calling, even to the point of declaring that anyone guilty of disobedience will be put to death. While that m- might seem to be harsh, but they knew that these kinds of things are issues of life and death. They knew they would never reach the promised land without first submitting their hearts to the authority of God that had been given to them in the word of God, spoken by God through Joshua, who was passionately proclaiming the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Some years ago in the United States, a man named Christian Herder was the governor of Massachusetts. One day he was running hard for a second term in office and after a busy morning, chasing votes, he didn't have any lunch and he arrived at a church barbecue. And it was a late afternoon and Governor Herder was famished. And so as the governor moved down the serving line he held out his plate to a woman serving chicken. And she put a piece of chicken on the plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herter said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm only supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said, only one to a customer. Governor Herder Herder was a modest and unassuming man, but he decided this time that he'd throw his weight around a little bit. Do you know who I am, he said. I'm the governor of this state. Do you know who I am, the woman said? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. So move along, mister. (laughs) One of the greatest challenges we have in being chosen of God is that our call to live under submission of authority. The rebellion that began in in the Garden of Eden still exists. In these days of change and transition, we will be challenged with those things. Brothers and sisters, in spite of the way that we live our lives, we need to remember that we are not in control. Someone else is. It's not you, it's not me, it's not the lady who's in charge of chicken. God is in control. And when we let him take control and submit to his control, we will cross the river and we will get where God wants us to be. And if not, we will struggle and wander anywhere between 12 days and 40 years. And in the days and in the weeks and the months and years before us, we need to be strong and courageous. But just as the people of Israel had a leader in Joshua whom they could trust, we do have a leader we can trust. And that's not necessarily me for sure. But Joshua in Aramaic is Yeshua, which in the English is Jesus. And as we follow Jesus together, we will be united and we will be strong and courageous together as we seek to take possession of the promises of God for the abundant life in Jesus Christ. As we passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for uh, men like Joshua. And we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for the, the stories and of all we see in the saints in the Bible, whom you have used throughout the centuries, who you have leaders that you prepared for specific callings and leading people to fulfill your plans and, and your purposes. And I pray, Lord, we would know that and embrace that. And in the midst of all these things we are living in, we pray that you would empower us to be your leader. We pray that you would guide us in that and that you would be with us as you promised for the next days and weeks and months and years. And praying, Lord, the changes and the transitions that are before us uh, would not give us fear but rather it would embolden us, Lord, to do even more. And we pray, Lord, when we encounter trials and tribulations and struggles and difficulties, that you would use these challenges to train us and perfect us into the people you want us to be. And, O Lord, we please we ask that you would help us to lead many, many to Jesus and to your praise and to your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.